is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part one with Akron Watson, we cover a lot. We talk about increasing the odds, probability, persistence, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this part one with Akron Watson. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Akron Watson. Akron, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Clayton. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. Uh, what, a, what a list of accomplishments that I think we will get to in this conversation. But Thanks, before man. we get to those, let's bring it back to the beginning of time for Akron. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? So my dreams always drift to Will Smith. Because in my in, in in my childhood, my parents would only let me watch Fresh Prince of Bel Air as like the kind of like content that I could watch at home. Sure, sure. And so, um, you know, I just sort of gravitated to 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 Will Smith as like this like really cool um, artist who I didn't know was a rapper because they wouldn't let me listen to rap music. Like I should preface this conversation by saying that my parents were and are devout Christians. Um, and so there was a lot of like uh, content that I just couldn't watch. Um, and so Will Smith uh, in the Fresh Prince of Bel Air was like my first like entry into someone who looked like me being um, <laughs> being on TV and film uh, because he started to make movies after that. And so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to emulate that. I wanted to be like this cool guy who talked about my life on um, on television. Also, at the time, uh, my my parents were uh, putting me in everything. I was the only child. And so they sort of like let me do everything. So I got a chance to be an actor at a really young age just because like that was something I aspired to be. And so I wasn't thinking TV or film, though, honestly, because the only entrance I could see was was uh, was theater. And so um, my first show was like, uh, was because I was a big kid also. I got to preface this with so many things, <laughs> but I was, I, was a, I was a big kid also. And so they would always give me the lead to, like, to not make me feel bad. And so I was Jesus in like my first production. And then I was um, like Noah and Noah's Ark, you know, <laughs> sure, and sure. Uh, all these. And, and so, you know, my, my dream was honestly to just keep doing that because my parents were making me feel like, hey, man, the world's your oyster. Um, here's where acting can start for you. Here's where karate can start for you. I was a mm. big kid. So they were like, here's where football can start for you. <laughs> um, so I was blessed in that way to just have the doors open for me. And I sort of just chose acting because I was inspired by people like Will Smith. What did your parents teach you about work ethic? They, my parents made me feel like anything is possible, but it's going to require work. And they were like, they were like really, they were workers. They were both. So my mom worked in the daytime. My dad worked at night. And so I could only really spend time with both of them on like Saturdays and Sundays, which were usually about like chores. Hmm. Um <laughs> And, and so we kept a really clean house, too. My dad was in the military. So I for people who know about that part of your life, it's like he he worked tirelessly not only to keep the house like clean and together, but to also bring money into the house. And so my mom followed suit. And so in just watching them, it was like, OK. I need to be working at least eight hours a day doing something. And then they would always talk to me about like opportunities and how they're made. It's like the door is going to open. It's your it's your job to walk through it and to make it something worthwhile. And, and that was like instilled in me 
from such a young age. Cause like with sports and stuff too, it was like, yeah, you're big, but like, that's just going to get you on the team. You know what I mean? Like yeah. what's going to, what's going to keep you on the team. And um, I was really blessed, man, to um, have some like parentals that were, they were really straight, even as a spoiled kid. Cause I was spoiled. They were like, listen, at some point we're going to stop doing this <laughs> and you're going <laughs> to, and you're going to have to earn it. What do you have a story or a particular moment with uh, entertainment with that opportunity, the door opening and you having to walk through it, make that decision? Sure. Uh, so many, man. Um, the first one that I thought of, though, was was honestly was American Idol um, because, you know, they leave that door open to everyone. They, I'm not even sure if that show is still on, but they left that door open to everyone. And it was it was your responsibility to show up, get in line sit through that line. I sat through 30,000 people the day I auditioned for, for, for American Idol. And then after that, you have to stay another two weeks and audition again, just to make it into the first episode, if you got your golden ticket. And, um, you know, they make that look like one episode, but for me, that was three weeks worth of not working, being in a city that wasn't my own. I had to drive from Dallas to San Antonio. So it was just this, it, it was this mentality of like, I will stop at nothing to have something that I want, but that no one else sees from me, but me, you know? And so like, it, 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 it was, it was also calling my mom and being like, send me $20, send me $30 because, <laughs> because I'm in San Antonio right now and I'm broke and I haven't been working two weeks. Um, so that was one where it was just like, Despite the fact that the door is open, I, I now realize that I have to it's going to take me a lot of courage to like sit in this opportunity and make it something that I want it to be. Persistence, because we're we've we've already gotten there. What have you learned about persistence? When to keep pushing, when to let something go, focus your attention. Mm. Elsewhere. What have you what's that self-talk? I love I love that you said learn because I, I feel like. My teachers, my mentors used to talk to me about um, who, who are all in Dallas, who are fabulous um, older actors and, and singers. They would always talk to me about like learning from not mistakes, but learning from the, the thing, whatever the thing is. Like you go in and you audition and let's say you don't get a good reaction. Do you learn from that that you need to do better in the audition? Or do you learn from that, that like their reaction doesn't define your performance? And like, yeah. it, and, and it was, it was always about, it seems to be even now always about reframing. It's not the no, it's how many no's can you get before you get to the yes. Right. You know, my dad used to say that like, it takes a thousand no's to get one yes. Yeah. And so it was never about like getting told no. It was always like, all right, this is 997. I have three more no's before I'm supposed to get a yes. Mm. And so that sort of that sort of reframing, that sort of persistence allows you to keep, especially in our industry where you're going to get told no a lot and you're going to um, you're going to question sometimes why you're doing the thing or like, sure. what am I showing up for this? Like, what am I doing this for? <laughs> and, and, and it's and it's and it's more about remembering that you set a goal. And that even though others may not see that happening for you, your attempts, it's, it's it, honestly, it's basic math. Like if, if you show up 10 times, 
nine out of those times you're gonna get told no, but one of those times you're gonna get told yes just because of probability. You know, it's sure. it's that thing where you, it's that thing where you you know you're looking trying to get somebody's phone number and you're like, all right, <laughs> there's 20 people in this room. You know what I mean? Like sure. if I ask 19 of them, number 20 is gonna give me that phone number, and so right, it's. Right. It's 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 truly about already knowing that you're doing the job. If you are working at home, you're doing the job. Just because the people on the other side of the table didn't see it today doesn't mean that they won't see it on Saturday or Sunday if you keep showing up. How have you increased the odds for yourself? I think, I, you know, that sort of piggybacks off of what I was just saying. It's like, I think I increased my odds by continuing to show up. Um, my first year in New York, man, when I realized because I was equity before I got here, I was I was I was in the actors equity like union or whatever. So I knew that meant that I'd have access to certain auditions. And I went to the actors equity office like, let's see what this is about. There were auditions every single day. And so, you know, part of my story is that I, I booked my first Broadway show in six months of being in New York. And I think that I increased my odds by show I would audition from 7 a.m. when they would open the doors until around 3 p.m. when they be you know when they start to shut things down at the actors at the equity office I would do that 6 days a week and allow myself one day of rest mm -hmm. and I did that for almost 6 months straight even while I was in a show even when I booked a reading I was still showing up to these auditions and I had representation at the time and they would be like sometimes my representation would be like could if you just <laughs> if you would just give us a chance, we'll get you an appointment <laughs> for this thing that you want to audition for. That thing you've already but been in like, for. <laughs> yeah, that you've already been in for. But I'd yeah. be like, if I show I was like, yeah, I was like, yes. <laughs> but if I show up, then they have seen me twice, right? <laughs> Increasing <laughs> <You know>? odds. <laughs> Increasing odds. It was all to me, it was just all about like how how far can I push myself on my own in order to make this thing that I want to happen, happen. And then allow the universe and God and probability and all these other people to come in and play their part because I know I've done mine. Right, right. What, okay. What did your parents teach you about kindness? Oof. Um, so my dad, who again was the, uh, uh, you know, Vietnam vet, um, worked at the post office, um, tried to be a police officer. I feel like they didn't let him be a police officer because he was like too mean or something. He was all about self-protection and about like defending yourself, never really about offending anyone, but always about like having a hard base just in case, you know, uh, someone were to say something to you, you know, that type of vibe. And my mom was the exact opposite. She was an angel. She let people in off the street. We had at least three or four homeless people who would come and stay with us, literally. Um, there's one person I can think of in particular who stayed with us for three years until she graduated high school. And we literally met her on the street. Me and my mom met her on the street, invited her into our home so that she could finish high school in a home environment rather than homeless. And so with those two sort of vibes, um, they... I think that my dad taught me to um, speak softly, but carry a big stick. Mm -hmm. And I think that my mom taught me that anything is possible with love and openness. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just sort of learned those two ways. And again, you know, being devout Christians, 
it was always the the way of Christ and always the way of mm. of love first and forgiving and turning the other cheek and all those different things. And what um, mentors did or do you have within your your professional life? Any standout lessons? Yeah, for sure. Uh, my first lesson I feel like was from my uh, acting three coach, Gail Cronauer, who's still an actress today, um, who, I was, who I earned the opportunity to, sh- to be in a movie with, which was amazing. And she taught me to set huge goals, set big, lofty goals. And then throughout your career, keep creating and finding small goals to get you to that super objective. Um, and to me, that meant, all right, what are the biggest goals you can have in acting? I want to, I want a Grammy. I want an Oscar. I want a Tony. I want an Emmy. <laughs> and she was like, all right, now who's got them and how did they get them? Um, and so that was one of the best lessons that I learned was that it was okay. I do find in this industry, especially as artists, we have a hard time saying what we want. Yeah. We just want to be artists, but it's hard for us to be like, I want to be on Broadway. And, um, she taught me very early to set those big old goals because you can be an actor. This is what she said. You can be an actor in your apartment without anybody ever seeing you. You can be an actor on YouTube. You don't have to be on Broadway. You don't have to be on television and film. But if those are actually your goals, set them. And so that was one. And then I think the second one was from my mentor, Akeem Babatunde, um, who is a fabulous actor and teacher in Dallas. And um, it was all about intention. And, and, and it, was, it was all about the work. He was so infused in that. It was, never about, it was never about booking the gig. And so what I learned from him was, it doesn't matter what the, what the audition is for, Broadway, television, film, if you go in there and you stick to your intention and the, the thing, it won't matter what the outcome is. You got a chance to be an actor today. You got a chance to to perform today, and that is actually the gift. Now, if they book you, fantastic, but you better go in there and do the job. I love that. You're <laughs> you're an Oscar away from EGOT <laughs> status. I am setting that yeah. goal for yourself. Was there any ever a thought in your mind? Those that's too big. I don't deserve that. People are going to figure me out <laughs> any any time ever. Or no. <laughs> It was <laughs> Man, I think uh, <clears throat> there have been some shaky moments where I felt like I felt like the kid from Dallas who didn't really who didn't really take a lot of acting classes and didn't really take it as seriously maybe as he should have didn't deserve to be in the room. Um, <clears throat> but luckily enough, I will say that like sticking to the work has allowed me to be open enough because when you stick, when I truly stick to the work, there's no room for my ego and people can see that people can feel that it, it reads as, as almost like an innocence. It reads as almost like a greenness, you know, like sometimes I'm standing in the room and the imposter syndrome, the imposter syndrome creeps in mm. and then my mind goes, well, what are you supposed to be doing? Like what's going to keep you in here? And it's the work. And so in those moments, it's like, all right, well, if I just keep working, if nothing else, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, whether or not I belong here is not up to me, you know, and and it is it is truly I know we think sometimes, at least for me, I think sometimes that 
I don't belong in a place when really I shouldn't be thinking about, about that. I should be thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing in this place and not allowing my ego to justify whether or not I belong somewhere. Hmm. And is that, is that a quick conversation for you? You're just, you know, and has it, has your mind become obviously more trained to, to, you know, get rid of those not self-serving yeah. thoughts? Yes, I think so. I, I, I think it was, <clears throat> I'll, I'll admit this, during the pandemic, it was easy to let those thoughts creep back in because I wasn't getting up and going through the same routine every day. And it became about self-taping. And I think we all know how it feels sometimes to be in a room alone and how much space those kind of thoughts can take up. Mm. And, and so I think it's harder now, especially when we're self-taping and having to look at our own takes and be like, okay, which one of these do I send? What am I trying to say? Oh, this is terrible. You know, to be like, no, it doesn't matter what I think. I did the job. The character's truth is being said. I'm going to send this and, and hope that they see truth in this. And if they don't, it's not my bad. It's not their bad. It is up to the stars and heaven and God. Sure, yeah. 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 No, it is. It's completely there's, but that's the, that's the balance I think in life is, you know, the persistence and the stuff you can control here with the feet on the ground and then trusting, yes. you know, what's up above. It's the other, the other 80%. Yeah. The other 80, 85%. Um, okay. 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 Is there a particular role that has taught you the most about yourself or a significant amount? Mm. Um, I'll, I'll listen about Tom Robinson and to kill a mockingbird because I just, I, I think being from Texas, being a black guy, I wasn't as focused on our history as much as I could have been, maybe. And that gave me an opportunity to dig in. Um, and it, it, it just sort of taught me that even, even, as a, even as a black man in Texas, I was, I was coming from a privileged place mm -hmm. because I hadn't experienced certain types of, um, of poverty and, that, and I hadn't experienced certain types of racism and um, that played a huge factor in how I approached new roles and new projects, because I would always remember that there was a Tom Robinson that was poor, that was accused, that was mentally ill. It, it taught me a lot about mental illness. Um, and yeah, um, he was it's it's a it's a sad story, but it's a story of strength from his position as well. So yeah. in that regard, um, yeah, I was like, oh, there's still privilege. I'm still living a privileged life, even though I'm a black guy in South. Yeah. How are you balancing uh, achievement versus fulfillment? Mm. You know, in the in the in the big goals versus small goals battle. Sure. Um, I can sometimes falter in celebrating the moment. Um, because I know the super objective is an Oscar and I just finished a small film. Right. And so sometimes I, I forget to celebrate the small film or I don't celebrate it long enough or I feel bad. I don't want to show up to the parties, blah, 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 blah. Because in my mind, 
until the red carpet rolls out and they're like, welcome to the Oscars. I still have more work to do. So um, it's been tough. I've been, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, just exposing myself right now. Yeah, I've been accused of like not showing up to parties, not after the pandemic. I'm showing up to everything. After the <laughs> you invite me to something, I'm coming. We're on record. But <laughs> it is on record. But, but but before I will say that, like, uh, it's a marathon and it feels nonstop. And so I've had to have people strategically in my life or come with me to the party or call me up or text me and be like, hey, you know, you did a good thing. <laughs> you know, you just you just performed at the Tonys. That's good. Like, take a second. Stop thinking about your Hamilton audition for two seconds yeah. and think about <laughs> and, and think about what just happened. Yeah. Do you. Um, I think it's, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. No. What were you going to say? I was just going to say that I think it's I think if when you're in the trenches, at least of your goals, super objective versus the small objective, it's good to have people in your life who can celebrate you and stop you and slow you down. It's good to have a, a good circle of people. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. 